Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Someone asked me a question after class last Wednesday night, and I was going to answer it tonight, but I do not see him here. So we will answer it, I guess, next week. He was wondering, he asked a question about, about how difficult of a time did the book of Revelation have getting into the canon of the Bible? And the answer was it had quite a difficult time even though it is widely accepted, there were some key figures who did not accept it and caused some problems getting it in. And it finally got into the canon, I believe, in the 4th century, 4th century A.D. But I was going to give some names and some dates, but uh, since, since he's not here, we'll skip those and we'll go on to that. By the way, I enjoyed last week's class. I'm, thank you all for participating like that. I, I wasn't terribly pleased with my assignments to the identities of the Beast 1, Beast 2, and the image. And y- y'all, helped, y'all helped a lot. In fact, I was updating my charts up to 7 p.m. last Wednesday night trying to, trying to get these assignments looking good. But uh, I appreciate the help that y'all gave me. One comment that was made by another gentleman was that some of these characteristics may be, may be assigned to maybe two different identities, and that is true. Uh, he mentioned that the image sounded like it could have been the military as well, and yes, it does. In order to keep these straight, there, there's something you have to keep in mind. If you read the description of Beast 1, Beast 2, and Beast 3, you're going to see a hierarchy you're going to see that Beast 1 was given his power by Satan, the dragon. Beast 2 served Beast 1. And Beast 2 enforced the speaking, the speaking image, the talking idol, whatever you want to call it. There's a hierarchy there, so that hierarchy will help you in the assignment of these identities. Are these identities correct? It's probably about as correct as we can get them in this day and age. The, uh, the main emphasis, though, is to give premillennialism an alternative to what they claim these beasts and these images represent. I just saw the person who asked me the question. So let's, let's, let's cover that right quick. How difficult of a time did the book of Revelation have getting into the canon Interestingly enough, in the first and second centuries, there was a great deal of acceptance. Here are some names of the people who actually accepted the book of Revelation being inspired and being something that needed to be put eventually into the canon of the Bible. In fact, the article I read here that you you see at the bottom, you can download these slides, by the way, download them from the website and look at these websites. Most of the early church leaders actually accepted the book of Revelation as being inspired being written by the Apostle John, the son of Zebedee. 
However, there were some, except, some, some objections from some quite well-known people. Gaius said that the book of Revelation was a forgery because of a heretic called Serenthus. Serenthus was teaching, apparently teaching the thousand-year reign, the literal thousand-year reign of Jesus on earth, and therefore he rejected the book of Revelation and claimed that it was a forgery by this guy. Uh, a couple of other people believed that Revelation was inspired, but they believed it was not written by the Apostle John. So they had a little, a little issue with it too. These guys caused quite a bit of doubt in the eastern regions, is what the website said. I assume that means eastern Asia. But eventually, everyone accepted that there was just a, there was such a large following of the book of Revelation, a lot of support for the book that eventually everyone came on board with it and went ahead and put it inside the canon. Interestingly enough, on a side note, another book of the Bible that had a tough time getting into the canon of the Bible was the book of Second Peter. Do you all remember our discussion on Second Peter back in lesson one or two? Y'all remember what Second Peter, especially chapters 2 and 3, did? They predicted what was going to occur in Revelation. That's one of the reasons the 68 ADers have to date the book of Revelation the way they do, because they have to clear the death of Peter, because they have to clear the book of Second Peter. But Second Peter had a tough time along with Revelation. I thought that was interesting. Okay. We've covered beast number one, beast number two, and the speaking idol. By the way, any more comments on, on those assignments? Okay, let's move on. Before we get to 666, the, the infamous mark of the beast, I would like to cover something called captivity and the sword. I'm just going to provide you with the evidence and I'm going to let you study this because I have no idea what's going on with this verse. This, this is confusing. Let's, let's uh, turn this thing on first. Captivity and the sword. Revelation chapter 13 verse 10 is a very interesting verse that a lot of translations cannot agree on as far as what it means. King James Version and the New King James Version reads like this. He that leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He that kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. I want to break this verse up into the two sections, the captivity part and the sword part. So you got captivity and sword. According to the King James Version and the New King James Version, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. That means if you are a perpetrator of captivity, you are going to become a victim of, cap of captivity as well. He that kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. If you are the perpetrator with a sword, then eventually you are going to become a victim yourself. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword is basically what that's saying. Now, Let's look at the New American Standard Version and see what it says. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. Ooh, that's different. If you're destined to be a victim of captivity, you're going to go into captivity. There's not a whole lot you can do about it. 
If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. If you're a perpetrator with a sword, you're going to become a victim of that sword as well. That agrees with the King James Version. But they disagree on the captivity part. Okay, let's go to the NIV. NIV says this, If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If you are destined to be a victim of captivity, you're going to go into captivity. There's not a whole lot you can do about it. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword they will be killed. If you are destined to be killed with a sword, if you're, if you're destined to be a victim of the sword, you're going to be a victim of the sword. There's not much you can do about it. Do you, do you see those subtle differences in the verses? I don't know why that's there. It gets a little bit worse, though. If you go to BibleHub.com and look at the Greek interlinear, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find this verse. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he goes, which means if you're destined to be a victim of captivity, you're going to, go, you're going to be a victim. There's not a whole lot you can do about it. However, with the sword... It's victim, victim as well. If anyone with the sword is to be killed, it is necessary for him by the sword to be killed. Okay? So the BibleHub.com Greek interlinear has captivity being victim, victim, and the sword being victim, victim. Now, the Greek interlinear that I own at home is the Zondervan Greek interlinear. Here's what it says. It says, if anyone is for captivity, to captivity he goes. Okay, that agrees with BibleHub.com. But it says, if anyone by a sword will kill, it behooves him by a sword to be killed. If you're going to be a perpetrator of a sword, you're going to be a victim of that sword as well. I can understand somewhat translations not agreeing with each other, but there's two Greeks, Greek and Linears, that do not agree with each other. And somebody smarter than me is going to have to research that and explain that to me because I do not understand that at all. If you look at the BibleHub.com translation count, captivity being perpetrator, victim, 23 translations. Captivity, victim, victim, 24 translations. For the sword, if you're a perpetrator, you're going to become a victim, 32 translations say that. If, if by the sword you are to be a victim, you're going to be a victim and there's nothing you can do about it, 15 translations say that. I have no idea what to make of that. It, it's difficult enough when translations do not agree, but then when you get Greek interlinears possibly not agreeing, it, it kind of scratches your head and you're not really sure what's going on. If you don't mind, research that for me. I've researched it and I don't know what else to do with it. Okay, everyone's favorite number to be afraid of. Let's, let's talk about 666. 666 is oral tradition at its worst, definitely. If you have a fear of enclosed spaces, they call that claustrophobia. If you have a fear of heights, you have something called acrophobia. I'm afraid of heights, but it's not really the height I'm afraid of. It's that sudden impact if I fall. A fear of spiders, arachnophobia. There's actually a movie called Arachnophobia. I haven't seen it, but I've seen previews, and I don't want to watch it. 
So the question is, what is the fear, what is the phobia, if you are afraid of the number 666? I have no idea how to pronounce this word. It is 29 letters long. H-E-X-O-K-O-S-I-O-I-H-E-X-E-K-O-N-T-A-H-E-X-A-P-H-O-B-I-A. How do you pronounce that? I don't even know. I'm not afraid of the number, but I am afraid of that word. Is this phobia real? Well, Time Magazine, June the 14th, 2016. Argentina's president, Mauricio Macri's attempt to donate over $1 million to a charity backed by one of his most famous countrymen, Pope Francis, backfired earlier this week when the Catholic leader rejected the gift, apparently because the amount contained the number 666. The donation from the South American country to the Scoles Acanturids, I don't know how to pronounce that, Educational Fund, which is a worldwide network of schools promoted by Pope Francis, totaled 16,666,000 pesos, which is about $1.2 million. The Guardian reported, citing Italian's newspaper La Stampa's Vatican Insider. In a note rejecting the donation, the Pope reportedly wrote, I don't like the 666. I'm sure he said 666 referring to what is called the number of the beast in the New Testament. I wish he had sent that check to me. I would, I would have taken it. Would you? Gladly. Does this phobia exist? Oh, yes. It definitely exists. Revelation chapter 13, verse 18. Here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding. Remember, that's our key phrase two key phrases that says there's an important clue coming or an important fact coming that Revelation does not want you to miss. Count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 603 score and 6. I mentioned in lesson 1 or 2 that if you really want to mess with a premillennialist brain, go up to him and tell him that the number 666 does not appear in the book of Revelation. In fact, the number 666 does not appear anywhere in the Bible. And of course, you'd be telling the truth. 666 is not a number. It's also not the original Greek. Here are the original Greek words used for that number. It is literally 666. So what is 666? Is it a superstition? Oh, definitely. Is it the Antichrist? Is it the sign? The sign? Is it the sign of the end of the world, like premillennialists claim? Here's an easy one: Is 666? Does that represent Satan? The answer is no. Why? 666 is the mark of what? Hmm. Say it. Yes, it's the number of a man. Which character in chapter six in chapter thirteen does six hundred and sixty six represent? It's a man, and what beast is it? It's beast number one. What was Satan represented as in chapter thirteen? The dragon. Clearly it's not Satan. Some some like to claim it's Hitler, Stalin, Peter the Great, one of the popes. If you go to your search engine, Google Duck, duck, go, whatever. You type in the number 666 and click the images. You're going to get 
Mainly, Obama and Trump pictures coming up because there's so many people claiming that they are the beast. Occasionally, you'll get uh, George W. Bush, the son, and I haven't seen Reagan actually pop up on those search engines. Now, this is what I, I was taught. This is what I used to believe that 666 actually meant. In fact, it wasn't 666. It was 666. It was a trinity of evil. Six is one number short of the perfect number seven. Therefore, it represents evil, and there's three of them. Therefore, it's a trinity of evil. And after I started studying Revelation, I realized that's not even possible. That that explanation doesn't even make sense. Why? Anybody want to take a stab at that? Because it's not a trinity of evil. It's the the number of a man. It's the number of a person. Anything beyond it's the number of a person is not consistent with with this verse. So, where does 666 come from? There is a subset of numerology called gematria. That's where numbers represent letters. The earliest known Jewish use of, of gematria, 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 I've, I've heard it pronounced both ways, I'll just call it gematria. Earliest known Jewish use was actually 78 AD by one of the Judean kings. The earliest Greek use of it that's recorded is 3rd century BC. Now the Greeks did something a little different that eventually the Hebrews copied what the Greeks would do is not only assign a number to a letter, but they took names and added those numbers up to come up with a final sum, a final number. That's called isopsy, uh, isopsepsy or whatever. I, isopsepsy. Whatever that word is. I-S-O-P-S-E-P-H-Y. It's called that. The, Jew, the Hebrews actually did copy that later. The earliest documented use was by the Syrian king Sargon II. He actually put numbers representing his name all over the walls in his capital. Apparently, it was, it was indeed common practice back in Bible times to actually know your number. We don't do that. We don't play number games like that nowadays. But apparently back then, it was, it was common. Here is the Greek gematria. And you can go, you can go on the internet and, and learn all you want to about gematria. It's, it's all over the internet. Here is the Hebrew. Notice they're, they're not only similar, they're identical. I can believe that the Hebrews probably did copy those, that, that number sequence from the Greeks. Now, a little bit of trivia. What is the second most common gematria? used in the United States. And I'll give you a hint. Brother Ginkle and Collie has been using it in his Sunday morning slides for the past four months. Have y'all seen it? What's the second most common gematria used? Have you ever heard of Roman numerals? That's basically all that is. It's a number represented by a, a letter, a letter represented by a number. Now, for all of you computer geeks out here, what is the most common what is the most commonly used gematria in the world? Hmm? 
Yeah, very good. ASCII. We could not live our lives the way we do without ASCII. Pick one second out of a day of any day you want to, and we'll count the number of times that that ASCII is used. Here it is right here. By all the computers in the world, and you will not be able to count it. You won't be able to count that high, and you will not be able to capture the instances fast enough to be able to count it. Gematria, uh, in the form of ASCII, is used by Linux, Unix, Windows, uh, Apple. It's used by it's used by every computer operating system that wants to communicate with another computer. If you uh, if you go to the store, go to the grocery store, and you swipe your debit card, you're using Gematria. You're using this Gematria. We couldn't live without it. It's all invisible to us, but this is the way computers. This is the way computers communicate with each other, because there is no such thing as the letter A. It's on your keyboard, but there's no way to store a character A on a computer. Computers are all binary. They're all they're all numbers. Everything is represented by a number. And when it and when it takes your name, your first name, your last name, and your account number, and and transmits it from the store to your bank, it's using that to communicate. As far fast as the gematria sounds in Greek, in Hebrew, we couldn't live our lives today without it ourselves because that, that's exactly the way our computers communicate. I read that the Dead Sea Scrolls provided a Hebrew spelling of the word Nero Caesar. I also heard, also read that it is translated into Hebrew from Latin. It's the Latin. It's actually the Latin uh, spelling. I don't know which is true. Maybe they're both true. If you take this spelling of Nero Caesar, you take Hebrew gematria, take each of those letters, assign the numbers, add them up, you will get 666. Is this a number game? That's a good question. I won't say no, but I won't say yes. We're looking for an alternative to what premillennialists is claiming about the book of Revelation. And here we have one of the major instigators of the persecution of the first century church in the book of Revelation, having his name actually, actually add up to the number 666. Mark Allen Powell wrote a book called Introducing the New Testament, a historical, literary, and theological survey he has this, this, this snippet in his article. He says, a designation for the Emperor Domitian that sometimes appeared on Greek coins also adds up to 666. That abbreviation, which is down here below, is an abbreviation for those five Greek words, which translates into English, Emperor Caesar Domitian Augustus Germanicus. If you take these Greek symbols apply Greek gematria to it, it also adds up to 666. Those are two of the main players in the persecution of the first century church who have their, their legal titles adding up to the number 666 using the, the, the common, common gematria that was common in that day. 
Could it be representing both? I don't know. It says a man, singular. I don't know if it's talking about both of them or just one of them. Jerome, who was a uh, Latin Bible translator and historian, we've already mentioned him a few times already. He lived 347 to 420 A.D. In his book, The Lies of Illustrious Men, he said that in section 9, a, a paragraph entitled John the Apostle, he, he indicates that Nero started the first wave of persecution and Domitian started the second wave. So both men are, both of these Caesars are guilty. Which one is 666 referring to? One or the other or both? Any comment about that? That's about as far as I'm, as I'm going to take it. You can, you can study on your own and take it further if you want to. I can't prove that that's actually what 666 is, is referencing. I do know that is, that is, I do know that it is historically accurate. And it is also during the time frame that the book of Revelation was written. Yes. Um, probably the, oh, I don't know who came up with it. It's probably the same reason, let's go back to Roman, probably the same reason that the Roman numerals did that so that you wouldn't have any duplication. That's, that's the best I can answer that. I don't, I don't know. I don't know who came up with this. I don't know why they assigned the letters the way they did. But with this, there is no duplication of numbers. And you don't have the same letter representing the same number twice. I realize that doesn't answer your question. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know the answer to it, really. Yes. Now, for Domitian, you're using Greek for... Uh, for Nero, we were using Hebrew. So notice there is a difference there as well. But yeah. That topic is way outside my knowledge range, for sure. But yeah, both of them's name adds up to 666, depending on if you're using Hebrew and the Hebrew spelling, or if you're using Greek and the Greek title. Yeah, that brings up another point. Um, yeah, y'all, y'all keep bringing up points of, 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 of things I remember reading, but I'm not really prepared to talk about it much. But uh, there is a discussion concerning Irenaeus about 666. Some people said that Irenaeus knew who 666 represented. Other people say that he didn't have a clue 
I would think that these people would have known. I agree with you. But some people are claiming that they didn't, that, that Irenaeus, among others, did not have a clue what 666 meant. I'm with you, though. I agree. I, I think these people would have known. They would have known. Because knowing, knowing, knowing your number back then was, was a common thing. We don't, we don't do that today. But it was common back then. Okay, let's talk about the Antichrist for a moment. Occasionally you, you, you discuss topics in Revelation and you're, you're hesitant about talking about them because they're so simple you think you're, you almost feel like you're talking down to your audience. And I don't mean to insult your intelligence by talking about this topic, but it is something that comes up with premillennialists. The Greek word for Antichrist is on the screen. It appears five times in the New Testament. It appears in its possessive noun form one time in 1 John chapter 4, verse 3. It appears as a noun twice in 1 John chapter 2, 18, and once in 1 John 2, 22, and once in 2 John 1, 17. Let's read each of those. 1 John chapter 4, verse 3. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And that is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 22. Who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. 2 John Chapter 1, verse 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is, a, this is a deceiver and an antichrist. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. And premillennialism clash very badly. Premillennialists contradict this verse from front to end. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that any Christ shall come, even now are there many any Christ, whereby you know that it is the last time. When you talk to a premillennialist and they talk about the last time, they're talking about the end of the world. They're talking about Armageddon. They're talking about the thousand-year reign about to come. When they talk about an antichrist, they talk about an antichrist that's coming in the future, they, they don't even admit that there are antichrists now. Their antichrist is going to mark the end of the world. And by the way, we'll get into this later, but that gets into this Gog-Magog business that we're going to hit in a later chapter. Um, and ultimately, the premillennials like to, like to claim that Gog and Magog is actually Russia invading Israel. That's going to be one of the signs that the end of the world is about to occur. This, 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 this verse has the words last time. I am assuming that is the last times mentioned in the book of Hebrews as well. And also it says not only have you heard that antichrist shall come, but antichrists are already here and it's a plurality. Premillennialists never use the word antichrist in its plural in its plural form. It's always singular, and they always precede it with the word the the antichrist. 
So what do we know about the Antichrist? Well, we know that plurality of them are already here. We know that they deny that Jesus is the Christ. We know that they deny that Jesus came in the flesh. We also know that the Greek word for Antichrist only appears in First and Second John. It does not appear in Revelation anywhere. We know that translators do mention Antichrist when they are translating the book of Revelation, but it is always done parenthetically. The reason is because the Greek word Antichrist does not appear there. You are going to hear premillennialists say over and over and over again, and you're going to get tired of hearing it. They're going to say, well, beast number one and 666 sound like an antichrist. Fact is, no revelation character is assigned to be any type of antichrist, in fact. No, no character in Revelation is, is described as an Antichrist. Therefore, there's no way that Antichrist can be beast number one or, or 666. In the Bible, nowhere in the Bible does it ever claim that the Antichrist being in the world is a sign that the world is about to come to an end. Nowhere. You're going to find that the descriptions of beast one in Revelation chapter 13 and the description of the Antichrist in First and Second John do not match. They have nothing in common at all. That's why you will see premillennialists pretty much ignoring First and Second John. What First and Second John say about the Antichrist? But there's just some material to to, to research and to read further on. Any comments on that? The Antichrist. People are almost as afraid of the Antichrist as they are of the number 666, actually, or the number 666. 666 is not a number. You cannot perform an arithmetic operation on 666. You can on 666. When premillennialists talk about the Antichrist, you're going to have to come up with a with an alternative for them. And first and second John are excellent alternatives turn to that and the fact that Antichrist does not even appear in the book of Revelation. Okay, any more comments on that? Let's talk about credit cards. Premillennialists claim that Revelation chapter 13 verses 15 through 17 prophesy that America is going to become a cashless society. Verse 15, And he had the power to give life to the image of the beast, and the image of the beast that should speak, and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark on their right hand and in their forehead, and that no man might buy or sell, say that he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Is that predicting we're going to a cashless society? Don't think so. First of all, why would the seven churches of Asia care if America is going to a cashless society in the year 2023? And in the second case... The seven churches of Asia do not even know what an America is. 
Now, you'll have, you'll have premillennialists saying, I cannot remember if it's the historist interpretation of Revelation. They, they, they claim that Revelation has a different meaning, a different meaning. I can't even say that word. A different meaning, different interpretation for every generation. That means when a new generation comes up behind our generation, they're going to have a totally new interpretation for Revelation. It changes based on the generation. And this happens to be what this generation's interpretation of this verse is. Well, if the Bible can be translated and interpreted different from one generation to the next, then how do you know who's going to be saved and who's not? The Bible cannot be interpreted that way. It cannot be translated that way. It's got to stay the same regardless what generation you're actually in. An interesting article, Heather Riggleman, she wrote an article that said, Is Cashless Society Part of the End Times? I'll read a couple paragraphs from her article. It says, Many view a cashless society as an imminent threat because they believe it will usher in the Antichrist and make it easier for the government to track us and therefore control us. Eventually, giving the Antichrist the ability to implement the mark of the beast. Let's stop there a second. That premillennialistic doctrine actually contradicts itself. When we get to Gog and Magog, the end of the world, the, the Antichrist, is going to be when Russia invades, uh, invades Israel, supposedly. This implies that the Antichrist is American. Gog and Magog Antichrist is going to be Russian. So which is it? Is it American or Russian? So they, 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 contradict, they contradict themselves. However, when the Antichrist does come, he will have the power to declare cash as worthless. He will have the power to require a new form of cash and require individuals to take the mark of the beast and pledge their allegiance in order to acquire this new way of buying and selling goods. But even in a cashless society, there are ways around the system. Bartering will always exist. A cashless society will not usher in the Antichrist, nor is it ungodly or anti-biblical. Should a cashless society happen, Christians should not fear it. Instead, Christians should have faith in God, faith and trust that he will provide for all their needs. Ultimately, we need to remember God is the one who provides our jobs, and he is the one who supplies all our needs. The rapture could come at any moment. I have no idea where that last sentence came from. I don't know why, why she put that in there as the last sentence of her, of her article. It doesn't look like it even fits in there. So does this, does this chapter, does this verse prophesy that America will become a cashless society? Well, according to premillennials, it does because every generation can interpret the Bible however they want to, and that's good enough. You don't question them. Yes, sir. Right, right. And persecution happens in all, all forms to, to, to all generations, correct? Yeah. Yes. 
But to get off the, to fall off the turnip truck this far and this hard, that's, that, that's crazy. So let's, let's go back to that verse right quick. What does that verse mean? That no man may buy or sell, save he have the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Premillennialist comes up to you and tells you that that's America going cashless. What's going to be your response? What is the historical response for this particular verse? If you read your first century history, you're going to discover that this is exactly what the Roman government was doing to the Christians. They were boycotting their their businesses. If you didn't have this certificate where you bowed the knee to Caesar, if you were a Christian and you owned a business, you were boycotted. And any any Roman citizen doing business with your business was, was going to be boycotted and Rome was going to go after them as well. If you were a Christian going into a grocery store and that grocery store knew you were a Christian and they did business with you, they risk getting the wrath of Rome brought down upon them. This verse is actually historical. This is exactly what was taking place with the first century Christians. This is what Rome was doing to them. You didn't bow the knee. We were going to come after you. If we couldn't get you directly, we're going to get you by proxy. We're going to let the other Roman citizens who fear Rome take care of the situation for us. That's where you've got these four horsemen You've got these four horsemen where you've got death and disease. You've got these Christians out there. Their families are starving to death because all these Roman businesses are afraid to do businesses with them, to do business with them. There is an historic uh, aspect to this verse. Is that exactly what this verse means? Probably. Can you prove it? Not sure how close you can come to actually proving it. But that is a response, that is a historical response to premillennialism who claims this is America going cashless. That is all I've got for tonight. Any comments on any, on any of this? Yes? It's order... Oh, you know, I'm, I'm actually actually surprised these songbook writers actually have a number 666. Okay, everybody turn your own hymn books to 666, and we'll sing that song, whatever it is. You know, some, some hotels actually skip the number 13 on their elevator. I'm, I'm surprised, I guess, songbooks, songbooks actually include the number 666 as, as one of their song numbers. What is 660? We don't have a songbook here. I don't know what, what song that is in our songbook, but anyway. Huh? I'm sorry? I am thine, O Lord. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Thank you. I haven't memorized. <laughs> I haven't memorized all those numbers yet. Hmm. I'm surprised that these song leaders, that these song song book companies didn't just leave the number off altogether. I mean, you, clearly the Catholics don't like that number. Guy turns down $1.2 million because the number 666 appears in the check. Wow. Oh, boy. 
I wish somebody would get cashier's check and fill that little column with as many sixes as will fit and give it to me. That'd be great. Hey, that would pay for our new wing, wouldn't it? Any other comments? Yeah. Um, oh boy, that's a whole that's a whole new can of worms you just opened. Yeah, we're not going to have time to talk about that, but that's actually interesting. Six hundred and sixteen. If you get time at home and you're bored, don't have anything to do, go to your favorite search engine and search six hundred sixteen versus six hundred sixty-six. And get ready to spend several hundred hours reading what comes up. But yeah, that's why it it had to be the Hebrew version. Either the Hebrew version of the spelling or it was the Latin spelling of Nero's name that added that extra N, which equaled 50 points to change 616 to 666. Any other comments? Thank you for your time. That is all. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.